0: The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media, nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today, we are joined by Ashwin Sagar. Growing up in the Middle East, Ashwin Sagar lived near some of the biggest and busiest airports in the world. From a young age, he would go plane spotting and made sure to visit the flight deck every time he traveled. For 21 years, the dream of flying remained just that, a dream. He moved to Canada to pursue a business degree and in his final year of university, truly started to consider a career in aviation. From then on, there was no stopping him. Ashwin enrolled in the Brampton Flight Center's Professional Pilot Diploma Program, becoming a flight instructor after completing his training. After this, he moved to Northern Canada to work for Perimeter Aviation as a first officer on the Metroliner 3 and later the Dash 8. At the age of 25, Ashwin landed his dream job of flying the Boeing 757 and 767 for cargo jet. I truly could not be more excited to have him join me today. Welcome, Ashwin.
1: Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Thank you so much for making the time for us. And all that to say, how did you get your start in aviation?
1: Well, I've always been around airplanes. Like I was born and raised in Dubai. So I live like 15 minutes away from the airport and I would see planes go out in and out of Dubai International. And these are big, heavy airplanes for the most part. And there used to be a park right next to the airport. Uh, We would always go for these family picnics. And uh, it's just perfect spot for plane spotting watching these airplanes take off land. so I was always fascinated by them. And I, every time we'd go on vacation, I would back in those days, you could just walk into flight deck and say hi to the pilots and just see how things are happening, even though you you were like up in the air. So yeah, I, I was always fascinated fast forward to grade 10. So how it worked in my school was after grade 10, you get to choose like the, the kind of courses that you wanted to take and the career paths you want to take um so at that point I go up to this career counselor in my school and i'm like hey i'm considering being a, a pilot and she's like oh yeah this it's an amazing uh, career path but for that you need to take like physics chemistry math like all of these like sciences courses And i know there's a little bit of that in aviation but it was just so much anyways i i end up like i didn't really do much of my own research and. I go take all of these courses and I didn't enjoy them at all. Like they just it just wasn't me. Um and eventually I just said, you know what, I just can't do this anymore. So I ended up dropping those courses and moving into business. And I enjoyed that. Like I, I loved everything that we were doing in school. And eventually I graduated high school and moved to Canada. And I was doing a business marketing entrepreneurship degree there. Um, and it wasn't, I, I, was loving it, but it wasn't until like my final year of university. Um, I just stumbled upon this, this article, which is talking about how people get their private pilot's license. And once they get their private pilot's license, they just go flying for fun. I had no idea this existed. All I knew was, uh, you just get all your licenses, get, go through all this training and you go fly these heavy jets. That's all I knew about aviation. Because that's just how it was in the Middle East, so I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Like, I would kind of enjoy doing that. So I'm like looking it up, doing some more research some like a little bit more research, and and then I'm like, oh no, this is silly. I don't think I can do this. Anyways, so I let it go. I let it go for a couple of weeks, uh, and I come back to it again. I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, man, this would be a lot of fun. So I call my dad and I'm like, listen, like I'm kind of thinking about doing this like maybe i'll just become a private pilot and just do it for fun and have this whole like business career that you know i'm already on i've been doing this for like six years two years of high school and then moving to canada to do a business degree so at that point he's like oh that's actually a pretty cool good idea but why don't you consider being an airline pilot i "I, don't know i don't i don't think i can do something like that and uh he's like oh don't no, just you know, think about it just you have time like you're still in university your final year like just think about it I said, sure okay turns out there's a school like 10 minutes away from my parents house in brampton by then they had moved to canada as well so um like 10 minutes away so i'm like okay all right like did more research i'm like let's we'll go once i go like my winter break i go back home and uh we end up going to the school and just my luck, that day it's a low IFR day and Brampton for anyone that's listening, it's, it's a busy, busy airport. Like if it's a good flying day, you can't, even, you can't even talk to anyone because everyone's just running around, you know, just doing their thing. So it's a low IFR day. I show up there. There's like two instructors and the program coordinator there. So I end up talking to this instructor who like explains everything to me. A whole hour, hour and a half. We're just sitting down and I'm asking all these questions and he had the time. So just like, yeah, let's, let's sit down and we'll talk about it. And eventually I also met up with the program coordinator and she's like, yeah, like, why don't you take an intro flight? I didn't even know that existed, but yeah, like take an intro flight, get a feel for it. I'm like, wait, I get to fly. She's like, yeah, you go up with an instructor. So I book it. We go up in, it's it's winter break. So it's January, it's cold, uh, negative 20 day. I show up for this intro flight and I loved every single second of it. It was amazing. Um, so I come back, I come back down and I'm like, listen, I think this is what I want to do. So I look it up and Brampton has a professional pilot diploma program, like one year or a year and a half, depending on which path you want to take in yeah, I finished university and jumped right into it. So that's how I did it.
0: And never looked back.
1: Nope, not at all. Loved every single second of it. It's just been an amazing career.
0: I think you touched on an excellent point though, which is oftentimes you and I not coming from aviation backgrounds or families, you ask someone who, uh, especially if they're a college counselor or just even a student counselor, and you sort of speak to them to get a sense of what it would be like to get into aviation. And Not that they're not informed, but I feel like there's a very large disconnect between the courses and programs you need to take to become a pilot versus what you are sort of told maybe at the high school and maybe early college level is required. And there's this huge disconnect that it's going to be very heavy physics, very heavy math. And as you said, there is that in aviation at all levels, but it's not necessarily the sort of aerospace engineering prep that I think often college counselors may think that you actually need in order just to, you know, Start flying a one seventy two around
1: that's that's yeah, you're absolutely right. and the thing is, I, I believe in in India, if you're trying to become an airline pilot, they expect you to take these courses. so since my school schooling was in it was an Indian school, but in dubai, um, I think she was in the right place to tell me, hey, you need to take all these courses um, but it just it just doesn't work anywhere else in the world, so um it's I think. It's better to like just meet an actual pilot and talk to them and say, hey, listen, I'm trying to do this. How do I do it? And since they've been in the business, been doing it for a while, you would get better information. And that not not only just being a pilot, but any career, just go and talk to the person who's doing it um, and you'll get a much better answer than someone who's not even doing it at all.
0: And I think part of the reason why maybe there's so much more access to information surrounding aviation careers now is because there's been such a global personnel shortage uh, within the aviation sector. So you're seeing air traffic control and maintenance engineers and piloting jobs all better promoted and better explained in terms of the lead up that you'd have. But you also, I think, have a great suggestion. Maybe you don't realize it, but going to a flight school, if you're interested, on maybe a weather day. Um, not the bright, beautiful, sunny day where everything's busy, but on the day where if someone's there, they may be able to spend more time with you and really go through it with you. I, it seems so obvious, but I think, yeah, you have the beautiful, sunny day and those are the days you want yeah. to go to an airport.
1: You just expect it. You're like, OK, it's going to be buzzing. You'll get all the information that day, but a beautiful weather day is just a busy, busy day for everyone. So, yeah, I got lucky that day. I didn't even know it, but Yeah. <laughs>
0: how do you feel your experience in a business program influenced you and your approach to aviation?
1: So I think it laid the foundation for me to succeed. Um, The degree itself may not seem like it was really beneficial at first, but the whole process of going to university kind of helped me because I was learning how to manage my own time and uh, learning to network all these like little things that in high school I wouldn't I wouldn't do i i didn't even believe in networking but after university it just it was a no-brainer i just knew okay this is what i have to do start talking to people um and you know i also learned how to be like start thinking ahead and being proactive and things like i would just anticipate the weather getting worse i knew like okay in four or five days it looks like we're we're not going to be able to fly so i would end up doing like a couple extra flights a day just so i was ahead i was still you know, not missing missing out on the flying, um, but I just think it. Yeah, it. I would call up even my like the dispatch uh, at, at my flight school because I was just proactive. I just keep calling them and asking, like, "Hey, is there, is there a plane available?" And they just got sick and tired of my voice at one point, and I know that. <laughs> but they were nice enough to say, "Oh yeah, someone canceled. Can you show up? Yep, yeah, ten minutes. I'll be there." So I, I learned to look at the bigger picture, just get an idea sense sense of okay, what's going on and how I should approach things. Um, And I don't only like, if I look at an airline, I just don't look at it as uh, just from the pilot's perspective. I also look at it as a business perspective Mm -hmm. and see, okay, long-term, is this something that I see myself doing or something or being part of this airline? Is this something I want to do long-term? So,
0: Mm -hmm. I guess yeah, you'd have maybe more, literally more of a head for business, and not just sort of choosing a company based on what jobs are available or bases, type of aircraft they fly, but potentially the viability of the company itself or sort of like the long-term investment in being part of that company.
1: Exactly. And it, it pays off to, you know, grow with the company. So I always look at all of that before, I'm, before mm-hmm. I would even apply or uh, make a decision. So.
0: so from the time you started flight training to the time that you were instructing, that was a period of 12 months what is it like to do flight training in such a condensed timeframe? And how do you think that's maybe influenced the way you approach flying now?
1: That's a pretty good question. Uh, I, I know that this isn't uh, really for everyone. That's it, It's such a fast paced uh, training. Um, so I soloed in July, 2017. I kind of started flying a little bit, you know, self-paced uh, just before the program started. And then once the program did start, I it was it was twelve months, so everything was just go go go. You just had to. um, There was no break, honestly. Like we were we were finishing one exam, one written exam, and then the next thing you know, it was a flight test. And then you were done that, and they were just expecting you to like book your next flights. Um, there were days when we were doing like three flights, four flights a day, and sometimes they were cross countries. So you had to kind of do all of that together, along with your four hours of ground school every day. So it's fast paced. There's like actually no time to rest. Um, Even my parents would be like, Oh, you only show or come back home just to sleep. And that's actually true for that 12 months. I would just show up for eight hours. And before you know it, I was already gone. So yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of other factors as well. Like you're not only Kind of battling your the, the pace of the training, but also weather, mechanical issues. You know, planes break. It's just like any other airplane, yeah. So, or lack of airplanes because there's such a busy air uh, airport. So, and personal commitments. So, you still have a life, right? <laughs> You're doing this program, but mm-hmm. you still have to like spend some time with family or just you have just other things to do. So, um, yeah, it just takes a lot out of you but I'm glad that I did it. Uh, I finished everything in one year and then right away started on my instructor rating. So I, I believe total time from the time I soloed till I got my instructor rating was about uh, 18, 18 months in total.
0: Yeah. I think that's amazing because my flight training experience has been the exact opposite of a condensed <laughs> time frame. But yeah. what suggestion would you have for someone looking to do a condensed... Accelerated program like this.
1: I feel like this program is for people that were able to, I think, or just planning to get everything done so quickly. There was no like time constraint. There we had a lot of guys who were over thirty years of age, and they were kinda, you know, just wanted to get everything done as quick as possible so they can just get into the industry and start working. Um, And things were just just hot at the time that we were, we were training every airline was hiring. So I think the advice I would give you is just take it one step at a time. Um, it's easy to get overwhelmed with, oh, I I have so much more to do. So, and that, that's, that has happened to me as well, where we were just sitting one day and like, I still have three more flight tests, two more written exams and all of this to do so i just just broke it down in like chunks and i just said okay what's my first like what's my first priority okay i need to get these hours done okay that's done what's next okay written exam got that done now let's do the flight test and just okay let's just focus on the just the next step once i finish that we'll focus on the next one
0: And I think there's this combination of, yeah, focusing on the next step, looking at it as little chunks, but also really remembering to enjoy the journey. Because especially if it's so accelerated, it can be easy to just have it go fast and be so focused on the next goal, the next thing, and forget that what you're doing is pretty, pretty cool.
1: It is pretty cool. And for that reason, um, my my 300 nautical mile cross country, I made sure we all had fun with it. Uh, I convinced like a bunch of other like seven other people in my program to take this big cross country, go all the way to like Nashville, Tennessee. The initial plan was to go to Florida, but the weather was just, you know, Florida weather. So we decided, okay, the next best option would be Nashville, Tennessee. So to end this whole program, we were all licensed pilots at this point, commercial IFR, everything was completed. And we just said, you know what? We have the final step, which is the 300 non mile. Uh, got everyone involved first, then started talking to our CFIs. program coordinator, went and spoke to, um, the maintenance, head of maintenance dispatch to make sure the plane was ready and, you know, everything was good to go. And yeah, we just ended up flying and everyone did their cross, like the 300 nautical mile cross country. Um, and it was the best experience of my life. Honestly, we, we were there in Nashville for three days, I believe. And on our way back again, the weather started to get worse, so we had to stop in like Toledo, uh, Ohio, and then make our way through Windsor and back into Brampton. Uh, we still have photos, and we have a group chat that still like talks about it, and we share photos once in a while of the things we were doing there. And yeah, it's uh, I'm glad we did that just to end everything.
0: What was the most valuable thing you learned from your time instructing?
1: Um, the most valuable was. To be patient everyone learns differently everyone's pace is different so you have to understand like what works for one student doesn't work for the the other um and i just learned to just deal with this and it kind of it's kind of helping me even right now because every captain i fly with is different then you know they have different approaches to how how they want to do things even though they follow the sops but we're still, there's still a little bit of differences in how they want to do it. So it's just patience. It's a lot of patience. You sit down and, you know, kind of talk about it and brief. And yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I thought I didn't have patience till I, till I started to flight instruct and that skill, I just build it from there.
0: Now, after instructing, you went north to fly the Metro 3. What was that experience like?
1: So before I went up north, I really wasn't sure if that's the kind of flying I wanted to do. Um, The plan was always the airlines. And since the industry was so hot at that moment, um, it just made sense for me to continue flight instructing and then maybe get my hours and move. Um, But, you know, just kind of had a conversation with my buddy. And turns out, the you know, the northern uh, operators were hiring. So I'm like, hey, why not? Throwing in the resume, I got it. So once I was up north, I still talked to my captains about it. And I'm like, I'm so glad I did it. Uh, it was such a unique type of flying, uh, something that you wouldn't see everywhere in the world. And I remember my first like scheduled passenger flying. We were 10 mile final and the captain's like, Hey, just make a traffic call at an over 10 miles final. I'm like, but where's the runway? And he just started laughing. He's like, Oh, it just points off in the direction. He's like, it's right there. Like what? He's like, okay, just make the call. I'm like, sure. So I make the the traffic call, and it wasn't until I was like five mile final <laughs> that I see this like short little strip in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, wait, we're actually landing on that? And he's like, yeah, man, that's that's the runway. So it was it was interesting. These northern airlines serve a really important uh, purpose. Uh, they have an important role in the northern communities. Uh, we're not only like we're rescuing people bringing food supplies vaccines we're doing everything we're bringing people back from back and forth from their uh doctor's appointment and actual like even leisure flying because they're going down to like bigger cities so it's just a different way of life and i'm glad i got to see it firsthand and even the pilots would play multiple roles um we're not just flying airplanes but we're loading and unloading them up north we were the flight attendants metro three metro two DFOs or even sometimes even the captains would go back and make a, you know, uh, an announcement. So we were, we were de-icing our own airplanes. We were our own gate agents. So we just had to be self-reliant, do everything by ourselves, had to get creative some days, but yeah, it was on, on top of that, we were landing on short strips, uh, with some pretty big airplanes. It's funny because I, I heard a story where some of the American pilots didn't want to, or wouldn't land on a fully paved runway, shorter than 4,000 with a Metro 3. And here we were flying a Metro 3 in 3,000, 3,500 strips up north on gravel. And <laughs> the shortest runway I've, la- I've landed on was 2,800 feet. And that was with a dash eight. So it, yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I did it.
0: I mean, at that point, you're just running those performance calculations to make sure like, you know, I think we can do this, but like, let's just double check before we give it a shot.
1: Yeah, we always had, so the Dash 8, there was no problem. That plane was fantastic. So the Metro 3, Metro 2, yes, you had to run performance numbers. Sometimes in the summer, you couldn't do it, but uh, no problem in the winter for sure.
0: Yeah. Now working in a completely different context, uh, now flying cargo, do you find that having had the experience of sort of that self, not necessarily self-dispatch, but that self-reliance of Northern flying. Do you think that maybe changes your perspective of the different support roles that go into making a successful cargo flight?
1: Absolutely. I didn't even know how many people were involved to get a flight going. Um, but yeah, to be able to do all of that thing by ourselves, now we're kind of spoiled because we're sitting there and there's we just show up, set up our airplane and off we go. Uh, But I really appreciate these people. Uh, We we couldn't have done it without them, obviously, that these flights can't go without them.
0: Now, currently you work as a cargo pilot on the 757-767. How did you learn about this position? And what advice would you have for someone wanting to fly cargo?
1: So I found out about this company when I was in flight school. We actually had a cargo jet captain that came in. um, And she was like teaching one of our classes. Um, And that's how I kind of heard about cargo jet. Um, I didn't know much in the beginning, but then I, you know, started doing more research. I was in flight school. So I kind of wanted to see where, what, you know, the end goal would be for me. Um, so I started doing more research, not from the old, not only just from the pilot's perspective, but just overall career progression and for my life. So I've never been picky about the kind of flying I wanted to do, but the one thing I was picky about was the kind of planes I wanted. And it was always these heavy, big jets that I wanted to fly. So the goal since flight school became cargo jet, it was, that's, that was the plan. So, uh, and I had heard good things about the company I knew a few captains there as well. So I knew about their culture, their growth plans, and then the pandemic happened. And that just solidified my own decision. Like, yeah, this is quite stable. This is what I want to do, um, because things still need to get from point A to B and doesn't matter the economy or if there's a pandemic, it just people still need their stuff. Um, the one advice I would have for anyone that's wanting to do cargo is just know there's a lot of night flying. So you really have to get used to it. Um, I was a morning person until I started flying cargo, and then now I'm a night person. So if you are a night person, this is a perfect job for you. Um also like on a 767 where now a flight crew of just two people instead and a passenger flying that might be a crew of ten people, two pilots and a bunch of flight tenants, right? So um you just have to know to get along with the other person and be social, keep the conversation going and have fun on a pairing because you could have five, seven or even eight day pairings. So you wanna be able to just enjoy it and get the most out of this. Usually the captains I fly with are are coming from such a huge or such a wide variety of experience. They've flown all over the world. So it's interesting, we just share our stories and sometimes even like laugh about our Northern flying career. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, that's what I would say to anyone that's wanted to fly cargo.
0: And I think that was something that we all really saw uh, when the pandemic began, whether it was the Northern carriers uh, who are essential lifelines, Or it was cargo with e commerce and just everyone needing goods and needing them now. Uh, Those were two parts of the aviation industry that thrived uh, rather, at least seemed to do much better than a lot of other facets. So it's interesting that, yeah, as you pointed out, cargo, there will always be a need.
1: I haven't seen e commerce grow this much until the pandemic happened. Uh, And then I, yeah, it just honestly just made sense. Like, yeah, this is all the uh, cargo companies were just growing. They're just getting more, bigger and bigger and bigger because there is a need. And that's just e-commerce. We're not even taking into consideration just regular goods that need to move around, people moving, stuff moving around. Um, So add all of that up and you just have this huge cargo company.
0: And I believe that the projections are that the level of cargo we have right now, or rather the demand for it is not going to wane. If it's anything, it's going to maintain and grow in the future, that this is sort of a new standard for cargo.
1: Absolutely. And people have just realized that, hey, I don't need to go to a store and buy stuff now. I can just sit in my bed uh, and just order stuff online. And they've just made it so easy, right? You can You can buy anything you want. And if you don't like it, just return it and they'll come pick it up from your house. Some of the companies, obviously, they'll come pick it up from your house. It's gone. So, yeah, this is this is, I think, the new norm.
0: As someone that did not do a ton of online shopping pre-pandemic, I can assure you it has become too easy to just manage your life
1: (laughs) through e-commerce. We all have Amazon Prime accounts now. So, yeah, it's, it's just a new norm.
0: Now, how does flying cargo compared to your previous role flying passenger flights?
1: So many people have asked me this question. It's, everyone's so curious. But yeah, I started my career flying passengers. Um, and then there were, you know, once in a while we would do cargo flying. But once the pandemic started, we actually switched more to cargo. Like, even with the Northern operator, I was doing so much more cargo. Um, some days only cargo. So my first day on, it's funny because my first day on the Dash 8, Uh, first day of line dock we had one passenger going up north and just a plane full of cargo and i looked at my captain and i said is this normal like having this little like just one passenger and he just looked at me he's like man nothing is normal these days and this is the start of the pandemic so yeah the answer i tell people is once the doors close they're still it's it's still the same job uh, safely transport people or boxes from point A to point B and we conduct ourselves with the highest level of professionalism while flying, it doesn't matter if it's cargo or passengers, we still make every decision with safety in our mind. So the key differences, but there's still some key differences, right? So uh, the biggest one is the comfort factor, um, light to moderate chop, moderate turbulence, we would start to consider, okay, hey, maybe we should change flight levels as ATC figure out, okay. This might be a bet It's much more smoother. Maybe a flight level two one zero. Let's go there. Um, let let the flight attendants know. Switch on the seatbelt sign. Maybe even make a you know a PA announcement just to let them know. Hey, we have a little bit of turbulence. Just so the passengers have a nice, uh, enjoyable experience while they're flying with us. But that's not the case with cargo. We can sit there like bumping around. Doesn't really matter as long as we're not exceeding any you know airplane limitations. Um. So we really don't have to worry about that, but we have different things to worry about in cargo. Now with cargo, we fly just different things every every single day. It could be animals have flown flowers, a full airplane full of flowers, food stuff, chemicals. Um, so there's always a discussion about that. Just, you know, what happens in a, in, uh, in an emergency, what are we going to do? What do we have in our airplane? Can this be uh, mm-hmm. a bigger emergency? Can this lead to something even worse? So we always have that talk before we go flying. So there's always this added level of safety.
0: And is there, I guess sometimes, I think I'm going to get it wrong, but uh, is it Value Jet? It's whoever it was, the, the Everglades, where the items on board were not properly. Uh, stored and that was it led to ultimately a, a fire on board in the cargo hall and eventually the loss of the aircraft and is there a discussion surrounding maybe how well the items have been secured if they're potentially more hazardous
1: yes we do we do talk about that but we like everyone has a role to do and our job at that point is to fly the airplane right uh we're trusting that the way they loaded the airplane would be right and there's people that are coming in to check and make sure that it's it's done right um uh, but yes we I mean we always talk about what's on the airplane we get a a dangerous good document uh, a notice to it's called a no talk so a notice to the captain um, so we we know okay this is what it is and there's levels of ha- hazardous materials so you know okay how bad can this get
0: mm-hmm yeah, and I guess, I mean, it's very different than flying up north where it's you having to figure it all out now that you are on a bigger company doing different type of flying altogether. There's that uh, that luxury of having other people that get to help you with that.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, the danger is good document. We would anyways get it even with flying up north uh, because just because on the dash, it was a bigger airplane. So we could obviously load stuff up. Um, obviously no passengers. It was just a cargo airplane uh, at that point. But yeah, the exact same rules applied even while doing that, so.
0: Now, having flown such a variety of distinct aircraft, what is it like to have such large transitions between planes?
1: It's been quite interesting. I've flown two different types of turboprops and now two different types of jets. So the logic between the turboprops is kind of similar, uh, and the jets obviously is similar as well, uh, especially the 757, 767. It's the same type rating but we do a difference course and then hey we have two type ratings um but it takes a lot of effort to forget the previous airplane i remember we were at boeing training and uh the first few days in the sim we were making calls like i was calling up perimeter two three five heavy and my sim partner was saying qatari three four five heavy because there's just the you know a regular call and that we were making uh eventually you got You know, we caught ourselves and got better. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you just have to know that what works on one one airplane doesn't work on the other. Uh, Like I moved from a Cessna 172 to a Metroliner 3. And at that time, it was a huge transition for me. Um, You need a lot of control inputs to fly the Metro 3. um, And the magic number is about 500 hours on the airplane before you start to really grease your landings and make it really nice um but then i moved on to the dash eight so it flew a little bit slower than the metro three but it handled beautifully so yeah it was a wonderful airplane and had a really nice uh short takeoff and landing capability so short strips no problem at all and just as as i was getting comfortable with the dash eight moved on to the seven five seven seven six seven so again the differences between those two airplanes is not 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 a lot. The eye to wheel height is the exact same. The cockpit layout is the exact same. There's obvious differences and there's SOP calls that are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But overall, there's a lot more similarities between the two airplanes than differences.
0: Now, having done three major ground schools in the last four and a half years, all for completely different aircraft, what advice would you have for a pilot starting out on a new aircraft?
1: Yeah, so one suggestion I would have is, as I said, take it one step at a time. Uh, don't try to learn it all. I've tried to do that. It doesn't work. Uh, don't try to, like, you can try, but it doesn't, usually doesn't work. But don't try to know everything about everything. It's just too much to take in. Uh, just take it one step at a time. Day one is usually, you know, company in-doc, introduction to what you're going to be doing and then you go into the ground school and this is where you kind of focus on the systems and the behind the scenes of the airplane, what's working, right? Um, that's kind of like the place where, I mean, you can always ask questions. That's the best part. Like you can always stop your instructor say, hey, I don't understand this. Can you just explain it a little bit better? Um, once that's done, you go kind of go into like the pre-flight training and then you're into the ground-based trainers. This is where your your whole, um, your focus shifts from knowing everything about the systems to now knowing your SOPs, your flows your, and all your calls. Um, once this is done, you're usually going into um, either a full motion simulator if you're in a 705 airplane, or if you're in a 703 airplane, it's usually like a King Air or a Metroliner or a Beach 1900, you're actually going flying. So this is where, when all of your training till then comes together you need to have a little bit of you know basic systems knowledge walk around pre-flight and then obviously the biggest one is your sops checklist use so what i like to tell people just take it one step at a time every day you're learning a little bit more Uh, you you don't need to know everything but you need to know where to find it that's the biggest thing just Mm -hmm. know where to find it and you'll be fine Uh, and it's okay to ask questions the captains totally understand the kind of experience you're coming from, so they're usually really patient with you. And I've flown with captains who've flown, like you know, flown the same airplane for five, six, maybe even ten years, and they're still learning something new every day. So the learning actually never stops.
0: Now, who is someone in aviation you admire, and why?
1: This has to be one of my biggest mentors. Uh, I kind of owe my whole aviation career to him. Uh, I met him. At the time I was kind of considering the aviation career to be a pilot. Um, I called my dad up and I said, hey, listen, I'm kind of considering just to be a private pilot. We'll see how it goes. And when we had that talk where he was telling me, hey, why don't you consider being an airline pilot? I'm like, okay, let me think about it. It's funny because that was on a Tuesday and that Friday my parents were at a family get together. My dad ended up meeting this guy. And they were just chatting and he mentioned he was a pilot. And my dad said, well, that's, that's interesting because my, my, my son wants to be a pilot as well. And without hesitating, he's like, you know what? Let's, I want to meet him. So, you know, you should come over to my house. And if you have any questions, I'm, you know, I'm free to, you can ask me any questions you have and I'll help you out and uh yeah i go up to his house and we speak for more than two hours and he's been my mentor ever since he's been a constant motivation he also immigrated from the middle east so we had something in common and uh, he's helped answer all my stupid questions over the four or five years and um yeah since day one he was like ashwin just work hard for five years and you'll fly heavy don't worry you got this he would like call me up and just to you know check up and say hey how's everything at every new mile any new milestone or if I flew a new airplane I'll call him and I'll tell him so yeah I admire him a lot and he's been a huge huge inspiration for me absolutely and and now I'm in a position where I can kind of do something like this to other people as well so yeah
0: how lucky are you to have had someone as has such a big motivator as him
1: like, I can't even imagine how, like, I can't even imagine being here without him. I can't even, you know, it's every step of the way he's just gave me the right advice every single time and he just said, you know what? You got this. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. It's all about the hours. Keep getting your hours. You'll move up. You'll get it. So, yeah.
0: And as you touched on now, you're sort of in the unique position that you're able to turn around and give back. It's it's hard to sort of pay it forward as or rather pay it back directly, but you're always able to pay it forward. And I, I have no doubt that you will do that wonderfully for whoever ends up being your mentee.
1: Absolutely. And I actually do have a couple of people that, you know, just either they fly on your airplane or just get their PPL or CPL. And first thing they do is call me. So I, I feel happy. I feel like, you know, I'm able to help someone out to come fly these big airplanes. So it makes me happy though,
0: And that makes it all worth it. Absolutely. Now, I've asked for a lot of your advice throughout this episode, but that's because I value your advice and I think you have a lot of wonderful insight. But what advice would you have for someone considering a career in aviation?
1: I would say for the first five years, go where the job takes you. you you're becoming a pilot to fly airplanes, explore the world, See new places. So you'll get, you'll go a lot further much quicker if you get out of your comfort zone and go somewhere where the job takes you. Um, the benefit of doing this is you're, you'll be saying yes to new opportunities. It doesn't matter. You'll just keep saying yes. And who knows, you might just find a place that you want to be long term. Or you might just have a bag full of memories and say, you know what, that was fun flying. Now it's time to try something new. Um, I, I've lived in Dubai, then moved to a small little town, Quebec, for university, then moved to Brampton uh, for flight school, then moved to Sioux Lookout, Ontario for the Metroliner, then to Winnipeg, and now I'm back here uh, in Brampton to seven 76. So Sioux Lookout was so tiny that even people in Ontario didn't know where it was. So <laughs> it was definitely scary at first, but I just got comfortable with moving around. And it helped me, absolutely. So I just reminded myself that it was a necessary sacrifice for the big goal. And all that paid off.
0: Now, would you please share a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your career?
1: Yeah, this has to be my time to look up for sure. It was uh, just a bunch of us moving from different parts of Canada or even the world. We actually had someone from Switzerland there uh, to work their first like Northern, Northern pilot job. And this town has 5,000 people in the summer and like 2,500 in the winter. So we're all up there away from our families and you know, just trying to advance our careers, get our hours. And we would all start around the same time, like in the morning, most flights left around seven to nine in the morning. So you would see everyone from Wasea, or in SkyCare, Printer, everyone right there. And these are all your buddies. And we would see each other at the airport, load up our, our airplanes with passengers or cargo, whatever it was, and go. Sometimes number 12 for departure. So we're sitting there, like, you know, just looking at each other, like, what are we going to do? And uh, we would all fly off to different destinations, come back. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, we just had a, a routine. You would show up, come back, all go play squash for an hour or so, go home, freshen up. And if you didn't have to fly the next day, yeah, let's go for wings and beers, and it would just be a table of 20 people. And we're all just different airlines, flying similar airplanes. Um, we, like It's funny, we knew all like the chef and the waitresses in all these these restaurants, because we were, we were regular, we were living there. We'd go fishing together, hiking, hang out all the time. And uh, yeah, many of us were from the, the same flight school, from Brampton. So it just was a big family up north and laughing cheering, having the best, uh, best time of our life.
0: And as you mentioned, I mean, it's a town that has yeah, 5,000 in the summer, 2,500 in the winter. And you have to think that probably about a hundred of those people at any given time are transient pilots who have found themselves in Sulacoat. So it would be such a bonding experience to be part of a community that's so small and so tight knit.
1: Absolutely. And it wasn't just pilots there. We would have uh, police officers and uh, nurses and doctors so they would start their careers up north as well. Um, so you would have pilots, nurses, and and police officers, all brand new, learning the rules of the trade, and then you know, just having a good time.
0: Sounds like a really fun time.
1: It was a fun time.
0: <laughs> now, before we wrap up today, where can our listeners find you on social media?
1: You can find me on Instagram at ash.sagar. and uh, on LinkedIn. Ashwin Sagar.
0: Ashwin Sagar, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: The Holding Short podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.